The Vancouver Canucks, good news. They extended somebody. The bad news is they lost another guy to a season-ending injury. And in between, there are some sophomores that are slumping, but um, also kind of doing good, but are also injured. So uh, we will uh, dig through all of that in episode 350 of the Lace Em Up podcast, which starts right now. Them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. A couple of housekeeping notes. First of all, in case you haven't heard, episode 350, another milestone podcast. If you're with us this far, God bless you. Uh, second of all, um, just a little bit of a housekeeping note. Uh, we are a couple of weeks away from the trade deadline. It's actually more like a month away from the trade deadline. So whether it's next week or down the road closer to the deadline, we will take a look at the teams to watch, who are buyers, who are sellers, uh, which players could be fits for certain teams, what their asking price might be, if it's a sign and trade, all that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll navigate you to uh, the uh, next destination as, as best we can at uh, least. And uh, Brett, uh, anything on the housekeeping front before we move on? No, not really. Um, yeah, no, not really. Oh, I, I do have one more housekeeping note. Just your uh, daily David Pasternak check-in. On a scale of 0 to 100%, how confident are you that he stays in Boston? Um, that's a good question. I think a lot... You don't have to give the reasoning. Just give me a percent. Well, I am going to explain my reasoning. Okay, shoot. Or okay. my thinking here. Because a lot of it depends on if we win the cup or not. Um, <laughs> I think if we win the cup then he probably will not uh he might say actually um i mean i'll save i'll save all my thoughts for i assume we'll we'll talk about the bruins in a few weeks but uh for their trade deadline and what they want to do but um i think it's like the fact that like the entire team is like half of our team is probably going to be gone after this year um, might mean that we're we're probably going to like start from scratch again. So I so if we win the cup, he's probably going to want to stay here just because it's like a like a nostalgia thing. Um, but if um, but if we don't win the cup, I imagine he'll probably like it will depend on if Bergeron stays. It will depend on if Krejci stays. Um, and, and a lot of it is dependent on, on those two. Um, I assume that both those guys are going to retire, but, um, I don't know. They, they look pretty good. I don't know if you noticed. So, um, so it might not be their last year, but, um, it also might be. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of it depends on if Bergeron and, and Krejci stay, um, Interesting. I thought uh, they would sign him before the deadline, but uh, it seems yep. like you think they're more willing to take their chance and go for July 1st and see where they're at. Yeah, possibly. I yeah, I can yeah. see. I guess I'm just thinking because, like, let's say, I mean, I know we're going too much into it, but, <laughs> um, and I did, I did want to devote a whole episode and 
get rid of my weird superstition of talking about this team <laughs> at length. But uh, but yeah, we we'll we'll talk about the sophomore stuff because yeah. we had that for going that yeah. topic for a while. Well, but well, I figure we'll save the trade deadline chart for like yeah, yeah. the All Star or something like that. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I guess to answer your question, you know, that, that is a good point. It's like pasta will help in the if if the Bruins are going to rebuild next year, um, which is definitely possible because it's kind of like this is their last season of like their last window basically with this core. Um, so so that's why I, like Pasta would be a great player for that just from like a mentorship leader type perspective. Um, but like, let's say they don't win the cup. Um, Pasta hasn't won a cup yet. So I wouldn't blame him if he wants to leave because yeah. he wants to win that cup. So a lot of it depends on that. Um, and yeah, if we if we don't, I I like I like I love pasta. He's my favorite Bruin, maybe of all time. Um, but uh, yeah, I would not blame him if he wants to go and we don't win the cup this year. So um, so yeah, a lot, a lot is riding on this season, <laughs> to say the least. Well, um, speaking of speaking of teams that may or may not be rebuilding, uh, the Vancouver Canucks are probably yep. more likely on the rebuild side. The good news is they managed to keep one of their uh, better offensive players this yep. year, Brett, uh, but not for a super long time. No, no, but uh, yeah, I guess it's uh, uh, it's funny how you always like uh, serve me up on these stuff, <laughs> and and I know like you're doing it so that I like I bring the news, but it is funny how it's like. People like if you're in the know in the NHL, you already know <laughs> what yeah, I'm you about to say. Do. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, but yes. Anyways, Andre Kuzmenko is uh, signed uh, for two years, five point five million. Um, this isn't a bad deal for for the Canucks. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, uh, but uh, Kuzmenko. Uh, yeah, he was signed. Uh, he was kind of like a low-key, nice sign signing for the Canucks um, before the last year's playoffs. Uh, but he was in the KHL last year, and he was a nice find for the Canucks. Um, but uh, he's on uh, Elias Pettersson's line, um, which is a big reason why Pettersson has been doing a lot better this season, uh, despite the Canucks not doing so hot. Uh, but yeah, he had, Kuzmenko has 43 points in 48 games. He already has 21 goals, um, and it's you know halfway into the season, so that's pretty good for for the Canucks. Um, yeah, and he was on a minor, um, an entry level contract in that sense. Um, he is 26, so he's still kind of young. But yeah, he has 5.5. In terms of their cap room, I I guess like next year they they should be okay. Um, but either way, I think this is like worthwhile. Just as long as you can keep EP happy, um, that that's all that really matters. Um, so so I think this is this is good. Uh, this is also a sign that they're not going to sign Bo Horvat. Um, but uh, but I think we kind of knew that already even before this contract because that's literally what Bo Horvat is making right now five point five million this year. So. Um, so yeah, I think this is a, this is mostly just an indicator that they want to make EP happy, and also a sign for Bo Horvat that okay they're not signing him. 
Um, it's like 100% signed, sealed, delivered that they're not signing them. Um, but, but yeah, I, it would be a very Canucks thing if after all this, like, Bo Horvat walks and he was never traded. <laughs> um, that'll, that'll be really funny. But it, I wouldn't be shocked uh, with, uh, with the Canucks management. Yeah, um, oh, spoiler alert, if you hear noise in the background, I am in a lot of newsroom right now, so just a disclaimer for the listeners. Um, now, in terms of uh, Canucks and what their management may or may not do, I saw on trade rumors, and granted, it's just trade rumors, but if Thatcher Demko somehow becomes available, they've officially lost their minds. Yep. <laughs> But uh, I think a lot of fans would agree that, or argue that they already have. But anyway, story for another day. Uh, Andre Kuzmenko, the other thing this signing indicates is that maybe they're ready to move on from Brock Besser as well because yeah, if they wanted a power play goal scorer, he's got eight power play goals this year, uh, 20 goal campaign, 42 points, as you mentioned. Also, his shooting percentage is crazy good, 23.8%, 20 goals on just 84 shots. That's impressive. Yep. Um, and this is a guy that's averaging nearly three power play minutes per game on the nose and nearly 16 minutes in all situations on the nose. So even in terms of ice time, he's not really um, on that upper echelon of like 18 to 19 minute forwards in the league. And he's already accomplished a lot in just one season, as you mentioned, with guys like Elias Pearson, but he's also played on line combinations with Brock Bester, um, I've also seen him uh, with uh, JT Miller um, a little bit uh, in quarter three. Interested to see if that continues, if that becomes a thing. Um, there, there's just a lot of different things uh, going on with the Canucks offense and what it might look like heading into the trade deadline, after the trade deadline, heading into the offseason, after the offseason, and even beyond that. It's going to look like a very complex figure. But I think... Worst case scenario, in about a year, year and a half, the Vancouver Canucks trade Andre Kuzmenko for futures. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why it's only a two-year deal. You don't know what this team is going to look like in a couple of years. You don't want to overcommit to somebody as maybe the Vancouver Canucks did with Connor Garland thinking they were probably going to be this wagon of a team on the rise in the Western Conference. And all of a sudden, that's not the case. And um, I think going more short-term was probably the wise thing to do. $5.5 million, I think that's good value for him, and I think he will probably live up to that for the next uh, however many years uh, he is under that contract, and maybe he might even outperform that as well. So, uh, yeah, I would say good cap hit, good term, and um, if the Canucks end up trading Kuzmenko, it'll probably be when he's on a contract here and a lot of suitors will be interested in him. So uh, in a couple of years, he could fetch a good deadline market. But in the meantime, uh, he gets to tear it up with Elias Peterson. So it's a it's a win-win for Vancouver in this yep. regard. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, don't know, I don't even know if they would necessarily trade him. It depends on what these next two years are going to bring. Yeah, to they, them, they could keep him for all we yeah, know. But exactly. um, just in case... Um, I oh, think yeah. uh, two years was the best route here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even still, like, 5.5 is a nice value for yeah, another team to take on. Yeah. Um, okay, similarly with Vancouver, um, Ilya Mikheyev um, is being shut down. He needs ACL surgery. Um, apparently, so it's like, you know, he wasn't having a great season anyways, and, you know, the Canucks are 
out of it anyway, so it's not a huge deal. Uh, we probably wouldn't even mention it, except for the fact that apparently um, he he injured this ACL in preseason, um, and um, and yeah, he he partially almost, tore it uh, to yeah, be partially, precise. Partially tore it in the preseason. Um, yeah, it was. It, he says that it was almost a full tear of his ACL. Um, and he'll have surgery sometime this week. Uh, but, uh, so that's more alarming, just the fact that, like, yeah, granted, I would not be shot, like, you know, how much my biggest pet peeve in the NHL right now or for the last couple of years has been with players playing injured, and I wouldn't be shocked if a lot of players on every single team is playing with some sort of injury when they shouldn't be playing. Um, injured, so like that's that part is a that's fine, whatever. But the fact that like he was still playing while injured is is kind of strange. Like this seems to be an exaggeration or something where it's like okay, something something is definitely off here. Um, Mikheyev eventually, like an hour later after this news came out, Mikheyev went on Twitter and he said that. I understand there is a lot of debate about my decision to play with an ACL injury. Here are the facts. When I was injured in the preseason, I went through several tests and realized I could play without carrying any more damage. That's what I wanted to do. Twice per week, we consulted with team doctors about how things are progressing. Never did I feel pressure. Never did I feel worse. It was my decision. Finally, I reached a point where I wanted to be ready on time for next year. So it, what? it's a little confusing wording. But I think what I gather is that he Mikheyev realized like this was his decision to to do this, um, and it must have been because he realized like at this point that the Canucks are out of it, so he's just trying to focus it on this year. But it is a little odd that he says that like, he never felt pressure or he never felt worse um, after this ACL thing, even though it's like it's pretty clear that like. You know, he almost tore the ACL off, uh, which is kind of crazy to me. So, um, so yeah, I don't. I, it, it's just strange that um, that he was playing like this um, while he was injured. But, um, but anyways, uh, it seems like it was his decision. So, um, and maybe it was just something where he's like, okay, after this whole mess, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna focus on next year and, and get better for that that year, but which is fine. But um, but it is a little odd. I feel like. Yeah, and and the thing with Mikheyev is like he's expected to get the odd power play minutes, but also kill penalties. Like last year, he had four shorthanded goals for the Toronto Maple Leafs in his final season in Toronto, and he didn't get any shorthanded points, but. Uh, Part of the reason why he's there killing penalties and on the power play and just doing anything offensively is because of his mad speed. Like, the dude is scary fast. Um, and obviously, with the HCL injury, you're not as fast as you are because, you know, you got this nagging pain every single game and it takes away some of your speed. So, um, I think he made the right call, but given everything that we know about the Canucks treatment of injuries, even if he tweets what he tweets or he says what he says, that it was mostly his decision. He was following up, doing whatever he could. I think in the public eye, a lot of people are siding against um, the Canucks medical staff because they've been taking their fair share of lumps the past right. couple of weeks. And Tanner, they're, they're yeah. on 
they're on the outside looking in on this argument. Right, right, right. And the the, the fact, yeah, it's hard to like take the benefit of the doubt for the Canucks because considering the last couple of weeks, we we also didn't talk about it, but it looks like they kind of messed up. Tanner Pearson's injury news as well, so... Three hand surgeries in three months, yeah, Brett. Just crazy. If you can believe it. Yeah, crazy. So... And now he's out for the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to take them with with a grain of salt or whatever, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of nuts. Um, okay, uh, so there was a trade that happened um, this week. It, it is kind of a minor deal. Uh, Matt Nieto and Ryan Merkley are going to Colorado. Um, and then Saint San Jose gets Martin Kaut and Jacob McDonald. Um, so uh, Ryan, Ryan Merkley, uh, he was drafted in 2018 um, by the Sharks. And at the time, there was this, like, he was a really good uh, defenseman for the Gulf Storm. Um, but then there were some like reports that he had some personality issues. He was like fighting with the coaches, um, and then he went to the Peterborough Peets, and he also reportedly had an issue with the Peterborough Peets. But all it's still like he had 39 points in 28 games for the Gulf Storm that year, um, and then uh, the Peterborough Peets he had 32 points in 35 games. So clearly he's very good offensively. He eventually went to the London Knights where he had 76 points for 60 games, but he still had that reputation that he's a bit of a head case. Uh, which to is be fair. fair with London, he wasn't as big of a head case, yeah, uh, as, as you say. He was, like, London is, is one of those places yeah. where you just go out there and play hockey yeah. and they'll manage the rest. So right. I think London, he was fine. But, uh, yeah, in Guelph and Peterborough, there were some off-ice stuff yeah. that... Uh, and kind of hindered uh, his value and supposedly there's still like there wasn't any like big like I don't think I saw anything but uh there wasn't any when he went to San Jose and, and played for the Barracuda or the Sharks there wasn't any like head clashing either so supposedly he's fine but he was supposed like you know when when they traded Brent Burns to Carolina I was thinking that meant that Ryan Merkley was going to get at least some ice time. I knew he probably wasn't going to be, like, as involved as Eric Carlson would be. Uh, but I thought, like, at least he would be on the roster. He, he didn't even play for the Sharks at all this season. Um, and he, yeah, he just had 14 assists for th in 30 games for the Barracuda. Um and then, yeah, I just see here that he's, he played in two games on Elite Prospects uh, for the Colorado Eagles, which is the uh, Avalanche um, affiliate. And he has one assist in two games for, for them so far. Um, and then Martin Kaut, similarly, he, he was also drafted in 2018, um, but he he's never really like he's he's played some games for the avalanche but like he had three points this year in 27 games last year he only played in six games he had zero points the year previous he had five games and he had zero points um his first nine games however he had he did have three points but um that's neither here nor there um and yeah he didn't really like 
I guess he, he did have eight points in ten games for the Eagles, um, and now when he's in the San Jose Barracuda in two games as well, he's had three points in two games. So he might have figured it out in the AHL, but it's it's hard to really tell. So it's it's very possible, though, that like because even though Colorado Avalanche are hampered by injuries, he's going to have a better chance in San Jose uh, where they don't really... Like since they're not competing for the cup this year, they don't they can they can afford to like take on Martin Cout and you'll probably see him in a Sharks uniform pretty soon. Um, so I I like this trade. Um, I still think that there is potential for Ryan Merkley, and I know that Colorado does have like a lot of defensemen in their system, but um, but yeah, I, I feel like if there is a personality issue, like if he doesn't work in Colorado. Then or like at the very least, he's not like a secondary role for them, in some capacity. I feel like there might be something there where he's just never going to fit in. Um, but um, but yeah, the, at the same time, there's like a plethora of good defensemen for Colorado. I mean, it's not just Kale McCarr and Sam Gerrard and Devin Tays, but like there's like Sean Barron's. Um, and I, I think that's that's the most notable Colorado Avalanche defenseman who's not in the NHL right now, but um, that I can think of right right now. But but yeah, I like I like this deal. Also, it's really funny that Matt Nieto uh, he only plays for two teams pretty much, uh, <laughs> the Sharks and the Avalanche. Um, I guess like he started off his career in the Sharks system. And then he was traded, or he was, he signed with Colorado, um, and then I don't think he was ever traded to San Jose back. But yeah, he signed with San Jose, um, and then yeah, he's he's back in Colorado again. It's just really funny. It's like okay, this is like the second time he's had a second stint with a team. Um, so it's just like I don't know. It's just it's just really funny. It's like all right, the Sharks are like yeah, we'll we'll loan Matt Nieto out, uh, kind of thing. But. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny, but well, yeah. What's, interest, what's interesting is uh, with the Matt Nieto uh, situation is um, you look at his time in San Jose. It ended in 2016-17, so that was the year after the Sharks went to the finals. And it goes to a Colorado team that couldn't score to save their life, and they were like very neck deep in the bottom of the league. And then they started to build their way back, and then after the um, playoff bubble in Toronto and Edmonton in uh, the summer, fall of 2020. Um, it was then when he went back to San Jose. So he left San Jose when they were good. He entered Colorado when they were bad, and then they got good again. Then when Colorado was good, he left for San Jose just as they were getting bad. And now they're worse, and now he's going back to Colorado. So it's 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 almost like uh, he just has that very bad timing of like going to teams as they're kind of nearing a low point yeah yeah that is funny although Colorado I I, I hope Colorado it shouldn't be there um yeah, at a low point you that, know that, that, that uh, struggles don't follow Colorado yeah, it's exactly. just short-term injuries but yeah um yeah, it's funny in terms of um Ryan Merkley I'm curious how long Colorado keeps him because like where are you going to put him yeah. Unless you're not re-signing Devontae's, which they'd be stupid not to extend him. I think they will extend him when the time is right. Um, 
I can see him probably being used as trade bait to getting, like, I don't know, what Patrick Kane or Bo Horvat, like a throw-in piece that uh, maybe a rebuilding team might need. Um, or he's just, like, AHL depth because they're calling up all these guys from the AHL right. and you need, like, a consistent point producer. I think Ryan Merley, Merkley could certainly be that. Martin Kaut, former first-round pick with potential, I think he can excel in San Jose, and I definitely think uh, Brian Merkley somewhere can do some good things at the NHL level. The other thing is Jacob McDonald, who is mostly an AHL journeyman, not really seeing too, too much NHL time. He's had cups of coffee with Florida, with Colorado, and now San Jose. Um, well, actually, let's so cups of coffee. It was a cup of coffee in Florida, and then he actually got some meaningful games in Colorado. But in terms of like a legitimate NHL defenseman, he hasn't really been around a long, um, that long enough to really establish a name for himself at the NHL level. So he's mostly an AHL guy. If if the day comes where the San Jose Sharks trade away Eric Carlson, they've already traded away Brent Burns, and now they've traded away Ryan Merkley. Who's running their power play? Anyone uh, want to answer me that? Real yeah. Quick? Just, just uh, food for thought there. Well, I, I, I assume, uh, Eric, I mean, as good as Eric Carlson has been, um, just given his contract right now, um, I, I think that's still like obviously he's <laughs> he's having a great season. He's having what's what's impressive about Eric Carlson's season uh, this year is that um, he's having a career year, and um, and <laughs> it's like and, and he had like he he's probably getting his number retired in Ottawa once he's done. Like he was probably you know it's just. It's just crazy that like he's still putting up these numbers after everything, um, but um, but yeah, I I think um, I, I I doubt that like yeah that you could probably get a lot if you were to trade Eric Carlson, but I don't. If you're trading Eric Carlson, you're trading him now because I don't know how many years he could I, put up those kind of numbers again. I just don't know how many teams could even afford him though. It's well, like, that's the other thing. He's got yeah. four more years left at that cap hit. At eleven point five, I think is uh, what. I mean, let's just look. It, at it, it might dive down like a on a yeah. year by year thing, but still, the cap hit is like one of the here. tops in the league. Eleven point five. If you exclude yeah. the position that he plays, it's still pretty high, like top yeah. ten, top twenty in the league. Eleven point five. So I yeah, I don't high. think that a team is going to take him. On, even though he is doing incredible right now, sixty-six points in fifty-one games. It's, I guess, like Eric Carlson. I mean, yeah, there were a couple seasons I, I didn't. Eighty-two <laughs> points in eighty-two games was his career yeah. high in Ottawa. By the way, that's 60, the only time I think in his career yeah. where he's a point per game. Sixty-six points in fifty-one games uh, right now. Yeah, which is well over a point per game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it's funny because it's like I I kind of predicted that Eric Carlson. I, I know we're going on a slight other tangent now. But I kind of predicted that Eric Carlson would uh, would be like would have a bounce back season. I didn't expect him to be this good. Um, yeah. But it's, it's it's funny how it's like Eric Carlson can either be like he he can only be the best player on his team. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> like even when he was on Ottawa, he was the best player on the team. Ottawa wasn't great, although I know that they they did make the playoff a couple of playoff runs. In his stead, but it is it is kind of funny that like 
when the Sharks have been bad, Eric Carlson finally lives up to his um, his potential. Um, or why they got him in the first place. But it's like, okay, Pavelski's gone. Uh, Marlowe is retired. Thornton has retired. Uh, Brent Burns is out of there. It's like you're the only good player other than Timo Meyer. And Timo Meyer is probably, uh, this is probably Timo Meyer's last year too. So, um, yeah. anyways, um, uh, yeah, I, and I, yeah, you, you did say that like Ryan Merkley is, um, in call, um, he is like an RFA this year. Um, so I guess it is potential that, and I, I just saw that, I guess Kale McCarr is back, um, and he's no longer injured, so, so maybe he is just going to be there for the AHL, or in case Colorado has more injuries, um, in the second half of the season, but... Which is fine, he'll get playing yeah. time somewhere. Yeah, I, I think so. I don't know if he'll get traded again, just because he, he was just traded. <laughs> so I, I don't think he'll be traded this year, but maybe in the summer, I could I can totally see that. Yeah, true. Um, okay, so now we are going to do uh, some, some fun little things where we notice that sophomores are doing really well um, in the... Um, or some uh, some have been struggling too. So um, we're gonna actually start off. We did talk a little bit about him uh, last week, but on, in unfortunate news. Uh, but we are going to talk about him now because he is doing uh, really well. Um, while even though his season is over, we're going to talk about Cole Caulfield. Um, of course, just to remind everyone that. Um, Cole Caulfield struggled early on last year in his rookie year, um, and then almost immediately when Martin St. Louis came in, uh, he was called up and he did phenomenal. He had a great second half. Um, I also said this last week when we talked about him, um, but he was, um, but I, I kind of called this, that Cole Caulfield would be really good, um, and a player to watch for Montreal. Um, and yeah, he had 36 points in 46 games, 26 goals, uh, so almost 30 goals in halfway through the season, um, which is just incredible. And this is on a team that's not good um, in Montreal. So, uh, so yeah, he he's um, he's going to be one to watch, assuming that his surgery goes well. And you know, you never know when when players recover from injuries, but you would assume that he'll be okay. Um, because of course there's like you know six months of um, of downtime for him, um, so so yeah uh, he he's doing really well. He also he gelled well with Nick Suzuki and Josh Anderson, um, but um, but yeah or and Kirby Doc I think played a little bit on that line as well, um, but uh, but yeah yeah I think I think that's that's just an indication that. Uh, Cole Caulfield's going to be a player to uh, look out for once the Canadians figure other things out now. But like, at least you know that Cole Caulfield is pretty good. Um, so we, we do have these lists of questions of uh, for each of these guys. We have five of them, but um, but yeah, it's kind of tough because it's like they're like a lot of these are like, what's going on if they are struggling? What? Why is it better if they are doing better? But because Cole Caulfield is injured um, and out of the season we can't even ask these questions so 
so yeah, why why is it better um, um, for for Cole Caulfield? So first of all, it's better because he wasn't coached by Dominic Ducharme yep. in the first half of an NHL season. That's really what sunk him last year. But then Martin St. Louis came into the fold, and he was fine. Uh, last year, he finished with 23 goals, 43 points. That's a 53-point pace, 188 shots, 12.2 shooting percentage, and he had five goals and 13 points with the extra man. Not bad when you consider he wasn't averaging 17 minutes a night at this point. Uh, this year, averaging over three minutes on the power play, he's an 18 minutes a night type of guy. 36 points in 40 games, 26 of them goals. So like you said, ridiculous goal scoring pace. Uh, his 82 game pace, if of course we know he's not going to be an 82 game player, not even close. But if he did play all 82 and he scored at this rate, he would have a 64-point season, which is pretty good. His shooting percentage is better than uh, this year than last year. Last year, as I mentioned, it was 12.2. This year, it's 16.5, 26 goals on 158 shots. Um, And the power play numbers, they've been roughly just as good. Seven goals, 10 points with the extra man. Here's the other thing that I want to remind everybody is that the Montreal Canadiens, shockingly, despite how bad they are, they're one of those cap-inflated teams where they have a lot of money spent right now. That is probably going to change between this year's trade deadline and next offseason and the seasons after that because you have Evgeny Dodonov's contract off the books after this year. I doubt they bring him back if they do. It's probably on like an amateur tryout or like a one year, one million type of thing. Mike Hoffman has got a year at $4.5 million after this year. I expect they're probably gonna move on from him because uh, to me, his results on the power play have been unsatisfactory and probably Caulfield's getting most of those grade A chances anyway. You also take a look at the amount of guys that are injured and currently not playing. Uh, Jonathan Drouin at 5.5 million, his cap hit comes off the books this year. It wouldn't shock me if they moved on from him at this year's uh, trade deadline. Uh, You look at uh, someone like Sean Monaghan, he is also a pending unrestricted free agent. His cap hit is 6.375 million and Paul Byron 3.4 million off the books this year as well. In short, you've got a handful of veteran forwards that somewhere down the line are probably not coming back and playing another game in a Habs uniform anytime soon. And that means more chances for Cole Caulfield to shoot the puck, more chances for Cole Caulfield to score goals, more chances for Cole Caulfield to flex his muscles. And let me remind everyone out there, Cole Caulfield is a restricted free agent, which means he is about to get paid. And a lot of people are going to be fixated on Austin Matthews, one of the league's best goal scorers, not named David Pasternak. Uh, <laughs> and I mean that with slight exaggeration because he is a very good goal scorer and like on David Pasternak's level. But beside the point, he's going to be getting paid 10 plus million dollars. He already is. He's going to get paid well past that. You're probably going to sign Cole Caulfield if you're Montreal to like, I don't know, like an eight by eight perhaps that could be a good number or an eight by seven um at seven or eight million per season that's a hell of a bargain if you're cole caulfield and the habs especially when as we've said many times on the show before the cap is surely going to go up at some point so if i'm cole caulfield i'm in a pretty good spot 
Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I didn't even consider the cap implications, or I didn't even realize he was a free agent, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I would assume he's going to get paid a lot for Montreal. It's weird, I, like, I, I don't want, because I love, I love watching this guy play, and I hate the fact that he's going to be in Montreal for his, his prime, it's just, it's just going to be annoying, but it's, it's, it's the, it's the fact of whatever. It could be the offensive carry price where they waste away his prime years. Yeah, but I like that's not fun either. It's like <laughs> it's not like, no, yeah. but it, it it could be possible. You never, hopefully not. I, yeah. I hope he has a good career, not at all his expense, but I hope he does good. Yeah, 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 fair. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, it's only going to get better from here. Like if yeah. this is what he's doing is like his second full ish yeah. NHL season. Um, He's going to be like a 40 to 50 goal projected score in no time. Especially when the Canadians aren't good. Um, it's like, this is what he's doing when the Canadians are losing every game. It's like, imagine like if they get Connor Bedard, even if they get Fantilli. Yeah, yeah they could not. They the already Canadians have Suzuki gonna, yeah. and he's developed great chemistry yeah. with Suzuki. Exactly. So it's like. And he, Kirby Doc's having a good year. Yeah, Kirby Doc's having a good year too. So it's like, uh, he, yeah, this it can only get better for him as the team, he, he the the supporting cast gets better too. So. Yeah, um, like they're they're definitely yep. in the Ottawa Senators sphere of like, 2020 yep. 21. Where like they're young, they're not as bad as you think they are. They're right. not a good team, but they're fun to watch. Yeah, yep. And Caulfield's a big part of that for sure. All right, so now we're going. Uh, speaking of playing on a bad team. Uh, our next guy is the Calder Trophy winner, uh, Moritz Seider. Um, he's not actually having as good of a year as he was having last year. Of course, it's kind of it's, that's kind of impossible to do, almost impossible to do, because last year he had 50 points in 82 games as a rookie. Um, so that's just incredible. Of course, he still had like a minus nine. I know I hate plus minuses, but. I always found that kind of strange uh, just for the factor of, like, okay, he's not doing so hot defensively. The Red Wings suck defensively. But, yeah, for, for whatever reason, uh, they uh, made him. Uh, that was, like, the only thing that you could say that it was against Mort Sider pretty much because he was still, like, running the power play. He was doing everything for the Red Wings. Um, it was just that. Um, and he had, you know, he had, 50, he had 50 points, so that's something. But, um, anyways... Uh, this year, I mean, he, it's not like he's doing terribly, um, he's been better lately, but, uh, he did have, like, three assists against Montreal, for instance, um, a few days ago, so, so he's not doing poorly, but still, he has 24 points in 48 games, that's roughly, uh, 48 points, um, if, although, I guess, like, yeah, maybe like 47 points, because I guess 42 wouldn't be halfway through. Or 48 is a, is a little bit more than halfway through. Um, I'm not sure what he's projected as. Anyways, uh, he has a minus... I know <laughs> I hate talking about plus minuses, but um, but yeah, he has a minus 13. Um, and he has a similar average time on ice, 23 minutes on ice. Um, that was another thing that I remember Steve talking about. Uh, the good news is is that he's he's hitting and blocking still. Um, yeah. In fact, he's doing a lot better uh, than that than he was last year. Because uh, like last year he finished with 150 hits and 161 blocks, 
But which this is insane for a rookie, though. Which is, yeah, but like already, I'm in mean, 48 games. He has 112 yeah. hits and 118 blocks. Um, so he's still like like he got better in that statistic. And yeah, his hits per game and block shots yep. per game are significantly trending upward compared yep. to last year. You're right. Um, as for why he's not doing as well as he was last year, um, I mean. It's kind of, like, tough to really say. It's I mean, you know, you would think that, like, it's it's almost hard to, like, do better than his rookie season other than, like, improve defensively. Um, and it, it appears that according to, I know, plus minus, it's hard to really tell from plus minus, but it, it seems like he's not doing so well. But even still, like, yeah, he has a, four, like, I'm looking here on hockey reference, his course, like, you know, his advanced stats, his Corsi 4 percentage was, is at 47%, um, and he had a, a higher Corsi... Yeah, last year's Corsi 4 percentage was at 49.3. So, um, so it's slightly better, uh, slightly worse. But, um, but I, I think it could also be attributed to the fact that, like, one... There's two reasons why this could be attributed to. One, uh, Phil Peronic has been really good. Yeah, um, literally took the words right out of my yeah. mouth. Philip Aronik, yeah. Yeah, Philip Aronik, he has 33 points in 48 games. Um, I guess this new coach, Derek Lalonde, he has put him on the power play um, more frequently, so maybe there is something to that as well. But, yeah, you, uh, Aronik was pretty good even before Cider's uh, rookie season, and it was a big reason why Cider uh, was able to take over was because Heronic wasn't up to up to match there. But yeah, Heronic has really picked it up. So that's one reason. The other reason um, is uh, so right now I'm looking at their depth, the Red Wings depth chart and Mort Sider's uh, paired up with Jake Wallman. Um And I believe I forget if it was Nick Letty who was um, his uh, his pair, or um, it was... Last year was Letty for the most it was part. Letty, yeah, right? before he was traded to St. Louis. Yeah. And and Sider really outperformed uh, Letty in that regard. Yeah. And uh, he's also been paired with Ben Sherrod, as well as yeah, yeah. Uh, guys like Oli Madden, Joy, yeah, yeah. Osterley. Detroit, in terms of beyond their top pairing, they have a lot of question marks, similar to a lot of iffy teams in the league. Right, right. Yeah, it was either it was either Letty or Sherrod that I wasn't sure who he was paired yeah, with. Yeah, this year Sherrod has been paired with Sider, and uh, last year it was Letty for yeah, the, yeah. pretty much every single game until Letty got moved. Right, 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 right. So, so yeah, Letty's um, now in St. Louis. Um, I think that was a, another big reason too is that like I haven't seen Jake Wallman play, um, so I can't really say for sure, but. Um, That's I, actually how Jake Wallman came here. Is is yeah. the Nick Letty train? Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Um. So so yeah. I guess I could see understand that trade then because it's like Jake Wallman is younger than Letty is, but at the same time it's like you know it, we we just talked about Eric Carlson, but it reminds me of how Eric Carlson had um, what's his face? Um, he had that guy as a pair. Mark Mathot. Mark Mathot. Yeah. yeah. That is who I'm thinking of. But like Mathot, who is like a, a decent, like a very good shutdown defenseman, yeah. Um, and he was, uh, he had the ability 
and he made it so that Eric Carlson, yeah, he did have some def- defensive deficiencies, but uh, Mathod could, um, you know, pick up whatever Eric Carlson was losing from that perspective. So, like, it was a pretty much a similar symbiotic relationship that they had, where Nick Letty is, like, the, the shutdown D um, for Cider. But, yeah, it seems that... Uh, they're, they're, like, I, I, again, I haven't seen Jake Wallman play, but I, I would imagine there is something to, like, the experience that Nick Letty had compared to what Jake Wallman had. So I imagine that's a big reason why Sider hasn't been as good as he uh, was last year. But, of course, it's, like, it's almost impossible to have as good of a season as he, as he had last year for a defenseman. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Those are my reasoning. <laughs> Speaking of plus minus, while we're on the plus minus bandwagon, uh, here are the plus minuses for Philip Aronik season by season. As a rookie, minus 10 in 46 games. Then a whopping minus 38 in 65 games. To be uh-huh. fair, the 2019-2020 Red Wings were very, 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 very bad and gave up a lot of goals. 2020-21 uh, in 56 games, he was a minus 18. Uh, last year in uh, 78 games played, was a minus 29. This year in 48 games, plus 12. Which, uh, to add to your point about uh, power play time, that probably resembles quite a bit of it. Uh, and more insider, unfortunately, uh, a minus 13 in the 48 games he suited up for. Um, I think the offensive numbers have taken a hit largely because of Philip Peronik's uh, big year, uh, because he's projected... Um, while his numbers are close to the same as last year, he's projected to get more this year, Philip Peronik is, which um, last year, uh, that opened the door for more insider. The other thing is that uh, Detroit has missed um, guys like Jacob Verona and Tyler Bertuzzi for injury, for personal reasons, for, um, for, for a variety of reasons. Those two guys haven't been there for a good chunk of the year. The fact that they don't really have any scoring finishers besides that, and I know they have Dominic Kubelik and Dylan Larkin and, and Lucas Raymond still out there. Uh, Bertuzzi and Verona not being there, that makes a difference. It, it, it impacts your goal scoring to a degree. And you know what? Maybe, you know, in power play situations, uh, more Sider benefited a little bit from that, as did others uh, from the presence of Bertuzzi and Verana. Uh, without those two guys there, that's two less weapons to utilize, and uh, that might contribute to his little point totals as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so the next guy we're going to talk about is uh, Trevor Zegras. Um, and uh, he's, he's actually picked it up lately, but uh, he's another guy who's playing on a bad team as well, but yeah. Late... They're worse than bad. The Ducks are worse than bad. Yeah, fair. But... Yeah, yeah, but um, we'll see. In his last five games, uh, he's had three goals and three assists. Uh, so yeah, he, he's 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 not doing so uh, so badly now. But um, but yeah, he has forty two points in fifty games. So he's he's now like we when we originally came up with this list, we had him as like a guy who was struggling. But it looks like he he found his game. What's interesting um, about him is, well, first off, I was at this um, the Ducks Bruins game um, uh, this month, and he uh, he scored a goal, and then it looked like he like trash talked 
um, to, uh, or he trash-talked the Bruins bench, and afterwards, Poster, uh, like, Frederick got involved, Marshawn got involved, and I've noted it's it's very easy to agitate Mar- Brad Marshawn and Trent Frederick. Those are, like, the two pestiest guys on the Bruins team, but it was just interesting that the whole team pretty much hated his guts, and then Pasternak said later on that, um, like, what uh, Zegris said to the branch, like, motivated the Bruins to, like, score six goals after after Zegris scored. Uh, so it, it kind of had the opposite effect of it. Um, and then uh, last night, I don't know if you, if you saw this, because uh, it just happened last night, but the Ducks were playing the Coyotes uh, last night. And supposedly, uh, Zegris, well, Zegris and Troy Stetcher got into it um, and supposedly uh, Zegris said something about his Stetcher's mother and, or Stetcher's father. Um, this, by the way, this is all a conjecture, so I have no idea if this was actually said or not. But uh, Stetcher's dad passed away in 2020. Um, oh. and, um, and that's what, what made Stetcher lose it. Um, but it's unclear... Like, when you look at the tape, it's hard to see him say what Stetcher claimed that he said. So it's very unclear. Anyways, uh, either or, it's kind of, I guess, Zegris has kind of now built on this, like, trash-talking repertoire now. This is, like, two incidents where he's pissing teams off, um, regardless of what they say. From From the Boston Bruins, the best team in the league, to the worst team in the league in the Arizona Coyotes. So, um, and also, uh, Zegris got the overtime game winner, uh, that, uh, that as well. But uh, that's besides the point for now. We're, we're going to just talk about his hockey skills and what he's doing this season. Um, it's, it's interesting because, I, I mean, I've talked about this throughout the whole year, is that, like, the only reason why Dallas Eakins still has a job is because Troy Terry is doing well, Zegris is doing well, and Mason McTavish are doing well. Is doing well too. So, like, if those three guys aren't doing well, Eakins is out of there. He's only there because the Ducks are tanking. And despite that, it's even more impressive that Zegris is doing so well. Like forty-two points in fifty games. Like, yeah, I know. As I mentioned, plus-minus are kind of a dumb stat, but. Whatever uh, he is, a minus twenty-two point uh, plus minus. Um, Isaac Lundstrom, by the way, is yeah. a zero rated, and that is the best plus minus on the team. Everyone oh, wow. is a minus. Literally, yeah. everyone on the Ducks except him is a minus. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't looked, but yeah, I, I, I guess that's kind of what I was getting to is that like the team stinks. So <laughs> that's not like there's only so much that one player can do for that. John Klingberg, who was brought in supposedly to bolster their defense, yep. uh, is a minus 26, and that is a team worst. What What I do find interesting is that, um, just looking at Zegers' stats here, is that his uh, face-off percentage is, are, is better. Um, slight, like he, had, he has 43 uh, face-off percentage right now. Uh, last year, he had a 39.9 face-off percentage. So, like, you know, it's, like, slightly better. Um, it is interesting that he had 56 hits last year, um, and right now it's, like, 50 games, 32 hits. So I think that's, like, roughly he's going to break those 50 um, 
50 hits. Um, he, yeah, I guess the blocks are... Oh, yeah, blocks, I guess, is a similar thing, too, where he has 15 blocks. Last year, he had 27 blocks, um, so he's getting better there. But, yeah, it's 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 like, you know, we, we just talked about the Red Wings. We just talked about, and the, the Canadians, all, and the Ducks. They all stink. Um, but, yeah, it, it, so you can't, like, I could, I could mention how he's still giving away a lot more than his takeaways, uh, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of that just has to do with the team. Um, and yeah, there, there was a point when he was, he was starting to have a disappointing season and you can kind of just, I don't know, I think you can ca- kind of call this season a wash, but at the same time, if this is like Zeg- if this is going to be Zegers' worst season, then he's going to be a pretty good player. Um, so yeah. Well, um, as a matter of fact, it, it might be his best season to date because yeah, his 82-game pace is slightly higher. Uh, 42 points in 50 games, 18 goals with that offense is pretty impressive. His shooting percentage has gone up a little bit, not considerably, but up from 12, up uh, to 14.8 from 12.7 last year, 122 shots this year. Uh, his power play production is roughly the same. Nine goals, 17 points last year. Three goals, 12 points this year. Um, like you said, get get more experience in faceoffs will be key for him. And the ice time, the total ice time has jumped from 17.54 to 19.29. And uh, his power play time on ice has jumped from 2.38 to 3.03 per game. Um, and over his last eight games, you mentioned uh, his past five games have been good. Over his last eight games, he has 11 points. And again, that's with the Anaheim Ducks. The fact that he also shows that little bit of snarl, that grit, that, man, I'm, I'm pissed. I'm getting beat every single time. Five or six goals are going in against us. We're getting humiliated. I'm not taking this lying down. I'm going to show up with some fight and some snarl. And even if I don't score, I'm going to make my presence known out there. That you, you, the worst thing you want to see is your star players disengage during a season like this because it's 82 games of miserable misery if you're this bad and a lot of people could probably lose the game of uh, their love for the game of hockey after a season like that but Trevor Segris uh, based on what you tell me um, is at the very least he, he gives a darn yep. and, and I think for a rebuilding Ducks team uh, regardless if they get Connor Bedard regardless if they get Adam Fantilli whoever it is you need a guy like Trevor Zegras to not be checked out. You need him all in, all invested into next season and the seasons moving forward. And by the way, similar to Cole Caulfield, guess who is a restricted free agent? Trevor Zegras. Right. So the better he performs now as well, uh, he's going to get rewarded for it regardless. But um, the the Ducks are going to have to open up their checkbooks and, and pay the man uh, in a couple months. So. Yep. That well, they a reward for going through this hell. They also have to pay Troy Terry too, so that's exactly, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, we'll we'll see. Um, okay, so the next guy we'll talk about is Anton Lundell. Um, this is another guy who's recently picked it up, and we'll I'll talk about that in a second of why that is. But um, but yeah, he. Uh, he has 22 points in 43 games. Uh, granted, he was injured for a little bit of the season, uh, but uh, last year he had 44 points in 65 games. Um, and yeah, he was kind of an underrated guy because that's pretty 
decent um, for because he was playing with 15 minutes of ice time um, on the third line. Um, and yeah, he was sixth in Keller voting, um, but like 34th in Selkie votes. So it's like, um, even though he was like a rookie, he still got some Selkie votes. Yeah, I know he didn't win or even was nominated, but the fact that he got some votes is kind of impressive. Um, and he, yeah, he's just looking at his face-off numbers, 47 uh, face-off percentage uh, this year compared to last year where he had 44.7. Um, yeah, so uh, so there's that. The reason why I'm, I'm bringing him up is, well, yeah, he, he had a pretty good season last year, of course. But also, he's recently on the top line with Barkov and Sam Reinhardt. Um, and I, I think the factor that, and they moved him off of center, they made him a left winger, it seems like he's going to be like, I mean, I guess, I guess there, there is Matthew Kachuk, who's now a right winger, but um, it seems like he's going to be like, kind of like the replacement for Jonathan Huberto um, a little bit. I mean, he's now a winger, uh, which is interesting. And yeah, if you're lined up with Barkov, good things are going to happen. Um, and uh, yeah, so far, I don't, and, and his, uh, his time on ice has picked up as a result uh, he did have, like, you know, in his last five games, he did have, um, he has one goal and three assists, so that's four points in five games. So that's, like, you know, that's not uh, great, per se, but it's not terrible either, uh, especially since uh, those two games he had, like, he had two scoreless games of those five games. Um, so... Um, so yeah, I, I imagine that eventually he's just like he's just working with Barkov, and I think he'll start to figure things out. But uh, the Panthers are actually out of a playoff spot at the current moment. Um, I imagine that that's going to change pretty soon. But either way, like the Panthers have to like start winning a lot of their games now because this is this is when it matters. And, um, and Lundell, if, if you're on the top line with, with uh, Barkov and Sam Reinhardt, yeah, you're, you're, you're probably going to score some goals or have some opportunity. Um, and I, I guess there is a potential that he, he could be taken off of the top line, but, um, but it does show a lot of um, strength. Not strength, but it does show a lot of trust um, in Lundell from the from the organization that they're just they're going to put him on the top line because he had, he did have a pretty good season last year so so yeah there there is something to to that they also had like a I guess uh, they had a they gave the Bruins the worst their worst loss uh, which is uh, eleven <laughs> the Bruins have only lost eleven times uh, this year um, and that was just a brutal loss from a from a Bruins fan here so. I, th- I think the Panthers might be on their way up now. Um, they st- like just it's just like they just keep on winning these lucky games, um, and it, it, it and to the point where it's not really luck that you just have to hand it to them. They never gave up. Yeah, the other thing um, about the Florida Panthers is they've just been a very inconsistent team to read, and I think part of it is because you had a lot of new guys coming in, a lot of. Uh, a lot of faces going out, like uh, the obvious Mackenzie Weger, Jonathan Huberto, Mason Marchment, those type of guys uh, not coming back into the mix. 
Um, then you have Matthew Kachuk, who has delivered um, to the extent that a lot of people thought he would. Uh, so he's been living up to his end of the bargain. Um, you you also look at um, you know what Jonathan Huberto has done in, in comparison in Calgary. Uh, definitely Matthew Kachuk, offensively speaking, has been the better player. But just feels like the chemistry has been disrupted uh, with Mackenzie Weger out of the picture again. Even though he struggled in Calgary, um, I do feel like um, at times he was the benefactor of some good situations, but he still did his part to make that defense tick. And we, I'm not kidding yet, we live in a world where guys like Brandon Montour and Gustav Forsling have more points on the season than Eric and then Aaron Ekblad. Yep. And Aaron Ekblad has played in 41 games. 24 points compared to 30 and 52 for Forsling and 43 and 50. Wow, didn't realize Brandon Montour yep. is that good this year. And what's interesting is Aaron Ekblad is the worst plus minus of the bunch at a minus 15, Montour is a minus that. four, Forsling is a plus 10. Um, so I think part of the getting used to the new faces and getting used to the voids that need to be filled and trying to fill those voids, because you also have guys like uh, Colin White coming into the fold um, to serve as depth guys. You also have Eric Stahl and Mark Stahl coming in. Uh, and there's also this uh, in, in important part to the mix where you have a new coach. Um, they don't have Andrew Brunette as their coach. Uh, Joel Quenville before that was uh, doing some good things uh, for them until uh, we, we know what happened there. Uh, but Paul Maurice, um, I feel like, has been trying to figure out what combinations work best. And um, some combinations uh, he's been able to get some good reads on. But just as a team, as a unit, this team has been very Jekyll and Hyde. There was that game against the St. Louis Blues last year. I can't remember if I mentioned it on the podcast before. But uh Florida was dominating the game in the first 30 plus minutes and they have like a three, nothing, four, nothing, four to one lead, something crazy. And they blow and they lose in overtime. Like they had, they had St. Louis skiing around the entire ice surface. They had them on their heels. They had them right where they wanted them. And it slipped away from them for, for whatever reason, they couldn't get the job done. And they've had several moments like that throughout the season. Sam Reinhardt started on the coldest of cold streaks. Then he got hot. Then he started to cool off again. Now he's starting to get hot again. There's just a lot of inconsistencies with this unit. And there's also one other thing to point out about Anton Lindell is uh, he has played uh, 43 games, but I believe he missed a bit of time due to injury. Maybe that has something to do with... uh, his adjustments as well. I think putting him on the same line as Alex Barkov is definitely going to help him down the line. But for this year, for this team, I'm not really sure if it's going to get him out of the inconsistent funk that he's in. But, yeah. you know, it, it, it's sometimes uh, sometimes a skittish start or a midway point in a season, wherever it happens, you're going to go through a rough patch in the road. It all depends on how you bounce back from it. And I think yeah. he will bounce back, whether it's this year or the next one. I find it interesting that they moved him to a wing because um, usually, he, like, when they drafted him, he was kind of known as this, like, two-way player or he was going to be a guy who who's going to be strong defensively um and so i like in uh i mean i guess when i read his face-off numbers like it doesn't appear that way so um even he's also taking less face-offs this year that's another thing to keep in mind last year he had um 
Let's see here. Last year he had 333 faceoff wins. This year just 171, and he has a better faceoff percentage this year, as you mentioned, yeah. right, than he did last year. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's tough because that's like a he played a full season last year. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, so so we don't really know. But yes, oh, uh, 65 games, not a full season last year, but still, yeah, I get yeah, your point. Still playing mostly. Games yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, no, I, I think I did mention that he was injured for part of it, so it is possible that he's just not 100%. Um, but yes, I, I think if you're going to get him going, then yes, being with Barkov and Reinhardt, that's definitely a way to do that. Um, and then, yeah, it's just also just interesting that they moved him to a wing um, where it's like it's very possible that he can only be a center or like he's better as a center instead so but like just learning a new position um could also be like something just where it's just growing pains but once he figures this out uh then he'll he'll be great but it's kind of reminds me of or i guess this is the best case scenario of this working out but a tage thompson uh he was uh he was a winger but then they recently just moved him to a center um, it's, I guess it's the reverse case, but Tage, and then all of a sudden Tage Thompson broke out. I mean, that's a big reason why uh, is because uh, Tage Thompson was better as a center than as a winger. Um, so it's interesting just from that perspective of, okay, they're just moving him to a wing. Um, or, or they're just giving him more time to, yes, develop a new position, yeah. but also uh, kind of establish his yeah. craft in the faceoff dot, like behind the scenes in practice oh, yeah. with Barkov. That's fair. Like, what better way to learn the art of the game than one from one of the yep. best faceoff artists in the game, not named Patrice Bergeron? Yeah, that's true, too. And not, I think Sam Reinhardt, he, uh, when he was drafted, he was a center, too. So Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's another guy, too. But, yeah, you're right. Um and, and I guess he's another guy who can, like, help transition, too, on that note, because Sam Reinhardt's now primarily a right-winger, um, and he used to be a center, so maybe there there is some thinking to that, too. Um, but, yeah, it's, it is interesting from that perspective. It might just take a while for him to learn that, the new, the new kind of position of, of things, or he might not just... He might just be better as a center, and that's the only thing that he can do, but... Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, but and it also probably gives them a chance to play with Barkov, the other Finnish player. So that also mm-hmm. probably, uh, I, I, I doubt he's complaining. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that about does it for us here. In, uh, it lays well, them up. We, we, we have one more player to get to, though. That isn't about it. Yes, thank you for reminding me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Almost done though. This will be the last one. <laughs> You're right, uh, Lucas Raymond. It's too, it's funny how um, I just a little behind the scenes, everybody. But um, I forgot who <laughs> we were covering for the last thing. So this is the second time where I um, disrespected Lucas Raymond, who we're about to talk about. Um, yeah. So uh, so yeah, we're we're talking about Mort Sider's teammate. Uh, he kind of. Struggled a little bit towards the end of last year. Um, but he had a very hot start. This year, he's actually not doing so badly. Uh, 32 points in 48 games. That's 60, 0.67 points per game. Um, yeah, and uh, he's on the top line. He is getting uh, more, oh, slightly less ice time, though. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's, doing, he's doing decently. Um 
I don't know. He's not hitting as much, um, and he's he is blocking a little bit more. Um, of course, again, as like uh, he played 82 games last year in his rookie year, uh, so take that for what it is. But yeah, he had 62 hits last year, um, and then he, this year he had 24 uh, hits. Um, so if that means ha- if that's halfway through the season, I'm just doing some quick math here. That would mean that he would get around like 48 hits, even though it's like 48 games. So that's not exact. That's a little bit more than halfway through the season. Um, and then he had 24 blocks last year, 15 blocks so far this year. Um, so so you'll probably break that because uh, that's like 30 blocks um, if if this is the halfway point for him. Um, and um, yeah, and even if it's like twenty nine blocks, that's that's still more than he had last year. Um, yeah. yeah, his uh, he's you know he's it's 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 weird. Detroit's a weird team. I feel like because we thought that like okay, Blashill was the problem. They did have Raymond. They did have Cider, who who did who did well despite that. They have uh, Larkin on the team. He's pretty good. Um, and then, and then, uh, yeah, the, the, the Red Wings did have a hot start, but now that they're, they're kind of, they're, they're no longer in a playoff spot. Um, they just keep on losing now. Um, so it's, it's the, the Red Wings are now not doing so well. Um, so it's, it's just, um, yeah, I don't really know what to tell you because it's just, um. It, it seems like they're not doing so hot, but, um, but yeah, it, it seems like Raymond has has been more or less the same as he was last year, um, but, um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just that like this Derek Lalonde guy isn't that good. Maybe, um, maybe the coaching is at fault here. Um, well, he's a first but, time coach. To be fair, yeah, I mean, true. he's he's getting. He's getting acquainted like uh, a lot of the people but on like, this team because you also have Andrew Kopp who's yeah, new to things as well. Fair, but like Andrew, like yeah, I was just about to say like I know that they they added they were pretty busy in the um, um, in the off season um, signing some guys. Dominic Kubalik has been a nice signing for them, yeah. although he's had a bit of a cold streak. Uh, same with David Perron, although thirty points in forty eight games that's that's okay. Um, Andrew Kopp has been kind of disappointing though, uh, 26 points in 48 games. Um, so it's like, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess Dylan Larkin has been pretty good, 43 points in 47 games. Um, but, but yeah, like there's a lot of these guys that aren't doing so well. I know Nedeljkovic was put on waivers and now he's in the, um, AHL, but even still like you have Billy Huso, who has uh, three GAA and a save percentage of 901. Um, okay, so this is the issue here. Um, I thought Huso was doing decently, but that's really why. He got, he got off to a hot start, yeah. similar to the rest of the team, but now he's cooled yeah. off. Um, they did bring in Magnus Helberg, um, and in eight games, he is doing okay, um, although he has a sub-900 save percentage, but... 2.72 GAA and a save percentage of 8.96, um, and yeah, that's 
somehow even worse than Nedeljkovic's stats. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, I think I think that's probably the the issue is their defense hasn't been fixed. Um, even though they still have some, like you know, they they you know they added Kubalik um, and David Perron, but um, but yeah, the other guys, the the defense ha- that hasn't fixed the defense. Um, but yeah, I, I guess. Um, but going back on topic here, yeah, I think it's like a lot of the like it, it feels like Raymond has is kind of lackluster. You could say the same for Cider. It's like the same stuff, um, but. But yeah, I, I think I think Raymond could could be decent, but um, and pick it up. But it, it's like it seems like just the team is struggling in general. Yeah, and I mean the inconsistencies in the plus minus. What's interesting yep. about the defense is last year Lucas Raymond was a minus thirty two. This year only a minus nine. So it's plus minus has actually improved from last yep. year. His ice time has gone down a bit from eighteen oh nine to seventeen twenty three in year two. Uh, his power play time on ice has only creeped up by like six seconds a game. Um, and his power play production has been roughly the same five power play goals last year. He has five this year. Um, so he'll probably, um, he'll probably outperform last year's numbers when it's all said and done. His shooting percentage has been a positive though. Uh, 12.5 last year, 17.9 this year. Um, it looks like he'll take maybe fewer than 184 shots that he did last year. This year, he has uh, 15 goals on just 84 shots. Last year, he had 23 on the 184 attempts. And his D2 game pace is close to the same as last year. Last year was 57. Uh, right now, through 48 games played, um, his 82 game pace would be 55 points. So not that big of a difference there. Um, I think a big piece to what happens next is what happens, oddly enough, with Dylan Larkin, uh, yep. because he has been a regular line mate and more, um, or not more, sorry, Luke, uh, I'm sure on the power play he has been, uh, but uh, he's been a regular yep. line mate of Lucas Raymond in his rookie year, and at parts uh, this season in quarter one, he definitely was. But um, he also spent time with David Perron and Andrew Kopp, Lucas Raymond did, and um his point production was roughly the same as in quarter two as it was quarter one. So, um, but there's just something with Dylan Larkin that I feel like there's there's a good chemistry between the two, and you kind of don't want to disrupt that. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't stay in Detroit, I am curious how that um, how that hampers or helps uh, Lucas Raymond's uh, point holes because. Maybe now that he's the main offensive contributor, Lucas Raymond goes off and plays the best hockey of his career and continues to play at that pace uh, from here on out. Who really knows? Um, so I'm interested to see how the Dylan Larkin situation plays out because that could impact into this conversation and how it looks uh, down the road uh, for Lucas Raymond uh, and the Red Wings. And that's part of the reason why I picked the Detroit Red Wings as my team to watch this year, because even if they weren't good, you had the uncertainty of producing and Larkin, you had the rookies, and you also had the guys like Philip Zadina and Michael Rasmussen that you were just waiting, hey, this could be their year to break yep. through, and um, as it happened. Yeah, yeah I, thought, I thought Zadina was going to at least be better. Um, I wasn't expecting him to be like a David Pasternak all of a sudden or something, but um, I thought he would be at least somewhat better uh, or relevant, but yeah, he hasn't been that way. Um, and he, I think he's been healthy scratched a lot of times now too. So, um, 
but yeah, no, it, like I feel like the Red Wings are a mess now. It's it's kind of it's kind of crazy. I don't know what what's going on there. I think it's just another season of patience and learning, and yeah. it's and obviously tough for but like, Red Wings fans to say that. But um, it's something that Steve Eisman was preaching. It's like it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, These things take time. Fair, fair. But like but when you know, T- Tampa Bay had a lot of good things going for them. To be fair, yeah. like Tampa Bay. Um, looking back at what they did, how fast they got to the level that they got to, um, it required a little bit of luck and uh, yeah, definitely true. a lot of talent, but a little bit of luck for guys like Nikita Kucherov and Victor Hedman to and really Braden grow Point. into their roles as fast as they did. Yeah, and Braden Point as well. But, yeah, no, yeah. I guess that's that's true. It's like you, you never really know. Like, they, they lucked out that Kucherov was a hidden gem and Braden Point and all those guys. Um, uh, Victor Hedman wasn't a hidden gem because he was picked second overall. Or the same with Stamkos as well. But... Um, um, in terms of draft stock, but um, no, that's fair. I guess it's just like I feel like we say this every year about the Red Wings is that like yeah. okay, just have patience, just have patience. And there comes a point when you're like, all right, when is this actually going to happen? And it's never going to happen. Um, so it's just like, and like especially this year when Yzerman does sign all these free agents. Um, and they were kind of like sneaky signings where we we're thinking like, okay, Iserman, this hidden genius type of thing. I'm not saying he's not a genius, by the way, but it's more just like, okay, it seems like this season is like a pretty big disappointment for them. Because um, it's like, okay, it's the same thing as last year. You fire your coach, which was the right move. Um, but then it's like, okay, but they didn't do anything about the defense. <laughs> and... Um, it's just it's just strange. So it's like okay, like yeah, I get that you should practice patience, especially when all these prospects are going to take a while. But at the same time, it's just like okay, when is this actually going to happen, and when is it going to materialize? And I'm not sure if it's you know, going to. You know what we started saying about that um, into the off season ending of this year, New Jersey. Yep. And fair. then they started winning. And fair. Everything's fine now. <laughs> but like a lot of that reason was because they got a goalie. Um, and, um, you know, I guess the Red Wings did get Huso, um, and Huso hasn't been as good, but, uh, you know. They also got John Marino, who's stable the back end, true. which is that's, something that's that uh, Detroit thought they would have with Chirot, but it hasn't materialized yet. Yeah, that's true, too, but, um, yeah, no, that, that's a good point, I guess. It's like, but, like, I guess, I guess the thing is, is like, okay, Vanacek is not a bad goalie. Whereas Huso, he is struggling. Although I guess the Huso was was better in the first start, but maybe it's yeah. just something where it's like Nedeljkovic, um, something happened with Nedeljkovic because he was pretty good for Carolina, and then um, and then he wasn't. So it's like maybe Huso just can't be the starter or the the guy to um, to have like play all those games with. He needs another goalie basically. Um, you know what? I wonder. This is just this idea just popped in here. I wonder if, because um, I know I only know this because I have both these goalies in my cap league. Uh, but I wonder if Varlamov um, could go to Detroit as like a trade deadline move, or Corpusalo goes to uh, Detroit as a cap move as well um 
something something like that because I well Columbus has given up on the year. I know Columbus like they, they probably like I mean Corpusalo has outplayed Elvis Merzilkins, but maybe they could get something out of Corpusalo um, this year. And both of them are free agents, by the way, um, at the end of this year. Uh, Varlamov, um, Sororkin's the real deal, um, but I wonder if uh, there is something in the, the matter of there. Or another idea, too, um, is Antiranta, although it looks like uh, Freddie Anderson um, is back to being injured, so you never Wouldn't know. Wouldn't it be shocking him. if the Canes traded back for Nadelkovich? Well, I doubt that they would get Nadelkovic, but... No, they, no, you're right, they wouldn't, because they already have Kachikov. But they probably... Yeah, yeah. I, they're, they're looking to probably create more cap space than anything. Yeah, I guess there. that is a good point. I don't know why Detroit would do that, because it's like, all right, they're, they well, were... Well, the Islanders um, would do it. I'd fly, I mean, goaltending-wise, I'm fine as is. They need offense more than anything. Unless, yep. that, unless that trade maybe gives them like an offensive weapon that they could use uh, down the road. I could definitely see Detroit and the Islanders making something work out. And this, this is something that we can pick up on next week or whenever we talk through the deadline. But I'm listening to the fantastic trio. That is the wing wheel podcast. And uh, they do amazing work over there. You should check them out. They have a YouTube channel where they post podcasts like a couple times a week. Uh, and they've been talking about the trade deadline plans for the Detroit Red Wings. Um, and one one of the guys on the show, can't remember who, who it was who said it, but one of the guys on the Wing Wheel podcast said, I'm concerned as to what Detroit could become depending on how they handle the Dylan Larkin situation, A, but also B, if they lose out on Bo Horvat. Because, let's say, Bo Horvat, I'm sure Brett wouldn't mind this, goes to the Boston Bruins all of a sudden. Or he goes elsewhere and you don't have a Bo Horvat. One guy made the argument that you can't win a Stanley Cup with Dylan Larkin. But if you have two Dylan Larkins, which Bo Horvat would be a comparable to Dylan Larkin on the same tier as Dylan Larkin, it's possible. Yeah, They believe it's possible. If they can't keep Dylan Larkin or they miss on Bo Horvat... Then all of a sudden, like, you're starting to think, okay, well, where in the rebuild are we now? Are we going to be, like, treading water for the next couple of years, just trying to find a solution with the young guys that we have now that we don't have Dylan Larkin? Or we keep Dylan Larkin, but we don't get Bill Horvat, and it's just like, well, I guess we're the Minnesota Wild for the next 15 years, just in the NHL's pool of mediocrity. Um, So... Yeah, it's 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 interesting how the dynamics of the trade deadline are gonna yep. impact guys like Moritz Sider, guys like Lucas Raymond down the road. Fair. I mean, I guess the other thinking is is like let's say, um, the Red Wings are out of the playoffs. Um, yeah, this is a team that could use. Uh, well, every team could use Connor Bedard, um, but like even Adam Fantilli, especially because Adam Fantilli plays in Michigan. Uh, the University of Michigan, so it's like that that could be something. So it's like I I love Dylan Larkin, he's a good player. Um, but yeah, if he's your best player, your team's not gonna be good. Um <laughs> pretty much. Like he's he seems to be more of a like a supporting guy than a um than like your best player. So I can see that. Um I don't know why Bo Horvat would wanna join the Red Wings. Um 
simple. He grew up cheering for them. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that that's fair too. I I, I was going to say unless you know it it was funny. Like I was about to say unless he like he um, he has some nostalgia for the '90s teams, which apparently he might. So so there's that. But I was just thinking, just from the standpoint of it's on the same trajectory as the Canucks are. Um, where it's just like a like who knows what the future is going to hold for both those teams, um, and they're kind of in a similar spot. So so that's where I was thinking. It's like why would Bo Horvat do that? But um, but yeah maybe but yeah maybe that is enough where he grew up being a Red Wings fan and um, and he wants to uh, play there. Um, so that's yeah, definitely possible. Um, anyways, uh, that about now that officially does it for yeah. us here. On on Lace Them Up. You can follow us on Twitter um, and uh, Facebook um, on Lace Them Up. Um, You can also subscribe to us um, on iTunes or Spotify um, if you don't want to do that. uh, Just to, we we pretty much just post the episodes on on Twitter. Um, But yeah, if you're subscribed to us, that's great too. So um, yeah, um, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 351 of the Lace Month Podcast.